Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Let me just give you a quick commercial here, just a personal invitation. We have an event coming up here on Friday and Saturday that I'd love for you, if at all possible, for you to be a part of. If you open up to the third page inside of your worship folder, on the left-hand side there, there's a section called Plant Alaska. I'm a part of a ministry that's it's kind of an upcoming, a birthing ministry of pastors are gathering together uh, around the state to, that have a heart to plant churches. That's certainly true of Cornerstone and we want to, that's what plan Alaska means, uh, just find ways for churches to be planted around this state so that the kingdom of God grows. And this is kind of our first event to see if this thing is going to fly and we're bringing up a speaker. It's going to be right here at Cornerstone in this room here. Jeff Vandersfeld, he's a nationally known uh, Christian pastor and speaker and I know that if you come Friday 7 to 9, Saturday, 8.30 to 3.30, you'll be blessed. God will speak to you through His message on gospel fluency. I won't even try to explain uh, to you what that is, but I know that the Spirit of God will bless you, encourage you to come. Let us know if you're coming, if possible, RSVP online. We're going to have some food catered in. No cost uh, to the conference at all. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Oh, and by the way, it's good to be back with you after a couple weeks of hiatus for me in the wild, and I am happy to report that there is one less eight and a half foot, 800 pound carnivore traipsing around the wilds of Alaska, so you can sleep a little safer tonight, I hope, because of that, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. We have Bibles available to you behind every section of chairs there. We'll put the page number up with a reference for you to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, please take one. We want you to have a Bible. Keep it as your own. We've been a long time in the study of this letter. This is message number 150 from Romans. First 11 chapters packed high and deep and wide with doctrine. Chapter 12 is the transition where we move into application based upon all of the great truths about the person and the work of Christ and what is available to us in Christ. Fills the first 11 chapters and Here then is how we should live based upon that truth. We're going to read eight verses. We have covered the first three verses in the 12th chapter, but we're going to spend some time in verse 3 again today and in verse 6. But let me just read through Romans chapter 12 
1 to 8, Paul opens the 12th chapter. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Pause right there for a minute. Just a reminder what Paul is saying here is based upon all that Jesus has done, who he is, here's the only proper response for a follower of Christ that we need to make the determination that all of our life is going to be a life of worship. That what we are here to do is live for the glory of God and make a determination that we are going to, to the best of our ability in an increasing measure, live out our days as acts of worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing, by the renewal of your mind that you, by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here Paul says, the way that you can live out a life of worship is by understanding (coughs) what God's will is. And the way you understand that is you have your minds renewed. And the renewal of a mind transforms your life so that your life becomes an act of worship. And what renews the mind is the truth of God's Word. It is the Spirit of God taking the Word of God, and we put that Word of God in, and in prayer ask the Spirit of God to take it and use it to change us. And so what happens is we begin, through the words of God, as we put that truth in, we begin to think more and more like God. We see the world more and more as it really is. And that thinking impacts our living And that truth in the hands of the Spirit, working that in us, is a transforming process. Then what he does in verse 3 of chapter 12 to the very end of the letter is he is going to flesh out what a renewed mind looks like. He is going to talk about what this transformation will look like in our lives as we think the way that God thinks. And the first focal point in verse 3 is that he says, start thinking rightly about yourself. Verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. That last statement there is going to be the lion's share of what we're going to be looking at today. Think about yourselves, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Verse 4 For, because, we should think of ourselves that way because of what he is about to write. For as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if serving in our, if service in our serving, 
the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Stop there. What I want to do, we're going to focus in on the last part of verse 3 and in verse 6 today. And what I want to do is I want to begin by just stating, setting before you the theme, the subject matter. You've probably seen it, having just read through those verses, but what Paul begins to talk about and refer to in verse 3 down through verse 8 is spiritual gifts. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts and specifically what Paul teaches us is how our spiritual gifts as followers of Christ relate to faith, our faith, and God's grace. I just want to, I want you to put that in your mind. I want you to keep that in your view. What we're trying to understand is the truth about spiritual gifts that Paul writes about specifically. How do our spiritual gifts relate to our faith and the grace of God? I'm trusting the Spirit of God that by the end of that, this message you're going to understand the truth about spiritual gifts that's communicated here and how they relate to your faith and the grace of God. But zero in with me at that phrase at the end of verse 3. That we're to think about ourselves, each one of us are. Here's what that means. Every single follower of Christ. Pause for effect. This is for you. If you're a Christian, if you're here this morning, this is not for somebody else. It is for you. Each one of you. First part of verse 3, I say to everyone among you. So no checking out. No elbowing saying, wow, I'm glad he's preaching to you today. No, it's for you. It's for you. What specifically does he say here? That we are to think about ourselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The measure of faith that God has assigned to us. Down in verse 6, he says something similar. Let me show you the connection. He writes in verse 6, having gifts makes the subject matter explicit here. Having gifts or spiritual gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith. That last set of words there, that last phrase in proportion to our faith, you could put that at the end of the other six gifts that he lists there. 
The intention in the Greek is that that idea carries through to the end. You, if you have the gift of prophecy, you use it in proportion to the faith that you have. If serving, you serve in proportion to the faith that you have. Same thing with exhortation and contributing and generosity and leadership. It's in proportion to the faith that you have. So look at the, look at the similarity between verse 3 and verse 6. Verse 3 says, we are to think about ourselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to us. Verse 6 says, we are to use our gifts according to the proportion of faith. Do you see the similarity there? Both of them are talking about faith. Both of them are talking about some aspect of faith that's been apportioned to or disseminated to us from God. (coughs) So let's try to figure out Look closely at what that means. Remember where we're going. We're talking about spiritual gifts and how faith and grace relate to our spiritual gifts. First of all, Paul refers to the measure of faith. Just look at the word faith for a minute. (coughs) What does Paul mean here by faith? Just so that we're not confused, he's not talking here about saving faith. I believe the context makes that abundantly clear. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but saving faith doesn't come to us in measure. It comes to us in fullness. Saving faith is full in the sense that faith that truly saves fully trusts in Jesus Christ as the God-man who paid the price and atoned for the sins of humanity and satisfied the wrath of God so that those with faith in Him have His righteousness imputed to them. So saving faith it's not does not come in a variety of measures. It comes in fullness because it fully trusts. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't grant saving faith, 25% of saving faith to a person and 50 to another and 75 to another and to a few 100. No, it comes in its fullness in that it fully trusts in Christ unto salvation. That's not to say that I got saved at a young age when I was uh, a child. And I today understand far more about the atoning work of Jesus Christ than I did then. But that doesn't mean that my saving faith was incomplete as a child I fully trusted in Christ as my Savior, as a child. In fact, Jesus took a child and He set them in front of those that He was teaching and He used that child as an illustration and He said, unless your faith becomes like that of a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. See, a child may not have full understanding, but a child can have fullness of faith. In fact, they do. It just comes with a child. This idea of faith and not doubting. He's not talking about saving faith here when he says that God has assigned to each a measure of faith. So if the measure of faith is not saving faith, what is it? 
Well, faith in general is me looking, Christian faith is me looking away from myself and looking to God as the source, God as the author, God as the power, God as the goal. Saving faith is not me-centered, it's God-centered. And the faith that Paul is talking about here is not me-centered, it's God-centered. But specifically, try to track with me here. I know that this can get a little deep, but specifically, what does this faith that God is calling us to exercise here related to gifts, what does it trust God for? That's the question I'm hoping by the end that we get answered. What's the nature of that faith? What is the faith that Paul is writing about in verse 3, the measure of faith, verse 6, the proportion of faith? What is that faith trusting God for regarding our use of spiritual gifts? Well, in order to answer that question, we're going to look at a couple of verses outside of Romans for this purpose. We need to see what happens, what's going on spiritually when we use our spiritual gift. Because if we can identify exactly what's taking place in that spiritual dynamic, then we can begin to get an idea of what it is that our faith is to trust God for. So what happens when a person uses their spiritual gift? First Peter chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 10 and 11. If you have your Bibles, would you please open there and follow along. First Peter chapter 4, 10 and 11. Peter writes, As each, meaning, like Paul is saying, every follower of Christ, as each has received a gift, that's a spiritual gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And then he explains that. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let me point out two truths from verse 10 related to spiritual gifts that will help us understand what's going on when we use our giftings. Number one, spiritual gifts are to be used to serve who? Verse 10. Oh, somebody's got to be looking there. One another, as opposed to it's other-centered, it's other-focused. Gifts are to be used to serve one another. And secondly, in the use of our gifts, here is the shocking reality. In the use of our gifts, as we serve others with our gifts, here's what we're doing. We are stewarding the varied grace of God. Here's what that means. When we use our spiritual gifts to serve others, 
the grace of God that is multifaceted, multidimensional, comes in a variety of ways and shapes. That grace of God comes from God, goes through the one using their gift to another that is in a need of that grace to meet them at a specific point of need. That's what's happening when you use your spiritual gift. You are actually becoming the conduit or the unleashing for grace from God to go from Him through you, through your gift, right to a person who is in need of that grace for something that they're dealing with in their life. Grace that comes in in power. Grace is powerful. Amen? Grace is powerful. It's God getting engaged in power. Let me show you that specifically. <coughs> 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Another aspect of spiritual gifts and what they are and what's happening when a spiritual gift is exercised. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Paul same writer as the letter to Rome that we're studying. Paul says, to each, again, every believer, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit, third member of the triune God. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, serving one another. So, Let's put those two ideas together now. When we use our spiritual gift, what happens is we're stewarding the grace of God and that happens as the Spirit of God takes the grace of God, moves through from God through our gifting to manifest His greatness, His power, His glory, His comfort, His compassion, whatever it is that is needed, that is the Spirit of God that comes through the channel of our giftings to go to a person in need and do for them what no one else on the planet can do. Oh, come on, people. That's awesome. That's awesome. You, using your gift, get to be that conduit. That's what's happening in the use of a gift. It's not some light thing. It's not some insignificant function. It is central. It is this most powerful thing, the grace of God through the manifestation of the Spirit coming from God through your gift to go to a person in need with a variety of trials and struggles and pains and questions and whatever it is, the varied needs and struggles of life have as their solution the very grace of God that meets them perfectly as it needs to meet them. And the way it gets to them is how? Through us using our gifts. Wow, does that put some import on how critical it is that every single one is doing that. 
I'm going to talk some more about that at the end. God's grace is varied, right? Multifaceted. You know, at times we need comforting grace. In the seasons and the pains of life, at times we need encouraging grace. We need courage poured into us from the grace of God to face some trial or struggle that we are in. At times we need inspiring grace. Grace that calls us to a deeper love and a deeper commitment. At times we need disciplining, correcting, purging, refining grace. Grace that gets our attention and humbles us and burns out the compromise and the complacency of our lives. That's one of the forms, the forms that God's grace comes in. One of the varied forms. At times we need commissioning grace. Commissioning grace focuses our convictions and impassions our hearts and empowers our hands on our lips so that we can get engaged in what God has prepared in advance for us to do. You see, God's grace comes in its varied forms. And the reason it has varied forms is that they perfectly meet and satisfy the varied needs of life and the way that those specific forms of grace get to the specific needs is that they get there from God through you and your gifting to others. Oh, that is so critical for the life of the church. You see, I'm going to remind you of verse 1 and 2 again. What are we to do because of the mercies of God? We're to live a life of worship. How are we to do that? We're to do it by a renewed mind that's being transformed, a life that's being transformed through the renewal of the mind. Here's the point. We need to start thinking rightly. We need to start thinking God's thoughts related to spiritual gifts because when we think His thoughts, we understand how critical it is and we say, wow, I can't can't afford to let this calling, this command in my life go unanswered because it is so significant for the kingdom. Not because of me, it's just because God says that's how I'm going to do it. about this. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. What, church? With a little more gusto. For I've overcome the world. In this world you will have trouble. Trials and troubles and temptations and pains and sorrows and valleys darkness is going to come in a lot of different ways. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But listen, take heart, Jesus said. He's the overcomer. He's the all-conquering king. That's done. 
He doesn't need to do something else. He's already done it, completed, finished. But the question is this. How does the all-conquering power, the overcoming power of Jesus become yours? How does it intersect your life day in and day out so that in the situations in your life that are varied troubles and trials and struggles and pains and temptations so that you overcome in them? Here's one way it happens. It happens as people with spiritual giftings use those giftings so that the grace of God by the person of the Spirit goes from God through that gifting to intersect those lives and bring the answer and the satisfaction that is needed to those individuals so that they then, through that, experience the overcoming victory that Jesus has already won. Oh, that's awesome. I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm saying that truth is awesome. That truth is awesome. It's mind-boggling. It's astounding. It's shocking to me. Why would I get to do that? But I get to do that. And so do you. As a follower of Christ, are you? Now we're ready to answer the question. We know what's going on in the use of a spiritual gift now. Now let's go back to the subject matter of Romans chapter 12. Paul is talking about spiritual gifts and he is telling us how our faith in God's grace relates to our spiritual gifts. So the question we're looking at an answer for is this. Specifically, what does our measure of faith Trust God for as we use our spiritual gift. Measure of faith. What does it trust God for? It just trusts God for the process, the privileged process that we just outlined right there. It trusts God that when I use my gift, that God's going to show up and do what only God can do. It's not me. It's not my ingenuity. It's not my strength. It's not my intelligence. It's not my creativity. It is God saying when he uses his gift, I'm going to move right through that to a point of need in a person's life to do what only I can do in that person's life. It actually trusts God that he's going to do that supernatural work. Paul says, think of yourselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to you. Paul says, when you use your giftings, use them in proportion to your faith. So it's trusting that God will do that. Let's get a little deeper. 
What does the measure mean? Or to use them according to the measure of faith. What does that mean? The measure that God has assigned to us. I think initially, by default, in our language, we want to go to this idea of uh, a quantity, right? Some have more faith and others have less faith. And so the more faith has the greater gifts and can use them. And those with a little bit of faith have little bitty gifts uh, to use them. We think of quantity. I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. Instead of quantity, I think that Paul is referring to a different measurement. I think Paul is referring to a fit. Like you measure something so it fits. Like faith that is corresponding to the gift. The faith fits the gift. I'll explain that more in a minute. But I believe that what he's referring to is that God gives us unique individual gifts and he apportions unto us a measure of faith that corresponds to those gifts so that we can exercise them and actually believe that when we do, that transaction is going to take place where grace from God by the person of the Spirit goes from Him, goes through the use and exercise of that gift to a point of need and meets that need and satisfies it as only God can do. Give you two examples. One funny example, one serious example. And then I'm going to make a point of application and we'll be done. So the comical example I went to Bed Bath and Beyond this week buying a birthday gift for my bride big old box and so I get to the counter and I made the purchase and I asked the lady behind the counter you have gift wrapping here I'd like to get this present wrapped oh yeah we have gift wrapping just Go down the aisle there, you'll see on the right-hand side. So great. So I walked over there, and I came upon their complimentary do-it-yourself gift wrapping. And my heart just sank, right? But I mustered up my courage, and I said, how hard could this be? Come on. How hard could this be? I know it's a big box. But man, they had everything laid out there. They had two different dispensers of tape and scissors and this big roll of wrapping paper and ribbon there. And so I thought, man, I'm just gonna I'm gonna wrap this out. It's gonna look great. And so I set my big box on the floor. 
And I went up to the roll and I pulled off a big section of that paper and I'm following the instructions and it says just pull up on the paper and it'll just rip neatly right off of that with that bar that's across there, right? And so I made the first pull and it went about halfway and then just started turning all kinds of angles and I completely destroyed the first piece of paper. And the second piece of paper. And the third piece of paper. And the fourth piece of paper. And within five minutes, I had filled one of their garbage cans with wrapping paper. I'm not kidding you. I'm looking around thinking somebody's going to come over and charge me, right? So finally, I scrapped the pull and rip, and I just pulled a bunch out, and I got some scissors, and I just cut across that paper. And what I realized is the paper is too, it's a big roll of paper, but the box is big, and it's not going to go around all sides of the box. So what I have to do is I have to cover one end of the box first, you know, cut a little smaller piece, put it around, wrap it over the edge, tape it, so that then I could do the rest, and you'd never know, right? So I did that. I got one side covered, and I turned that upside down and put it on the bottom. It was coming up the sides a little bit, and so that, man, I've got I to just think through this like an engineer. I need to lift that off the ground a little bit, a couple inches, so that I can just rip a long piece of paper, and I can just let it set on the ground so it'll be perfectly straight and wrap it all the way around that box, and then I'll have a couple inches left to wrap over the bottom side once I get it taped. Well, that was about a 20-minute process, and I could not get that thing straight. I could not get that thing straight. I went through about another three or four long runs of paper to get that done. But I finally got it. I finally got it. I had it just about wrapped up. I just had to turn the last side there. And then I realized that the other tape dispenser was different kind of tape. It was double-sided tape. I'm thinking, well, what's double-sided tape for? What? Wrap? Oh, you can't see the tape. You can hide the tape. So that's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use that to wrap. So about three minutes later, I had double-sided tape all over the counter. I had double-sided tape on my clothes. I got it on this nice wrap that I'd made around and pulled it off and ripped the wrap and had to start all over again with the wrapping paper. I finally got that done. Then came the ribbon. I want to tell you what was going to be five minutes Now I'm wondering if I'm going to need to take a lunch break in the midst of this thing. I thought seriously about calling Derek DeGraff. His wife works in the front office. Ask if I could have his wife come over, who's a creative guru, and finish this wrapping for me. I didn't do that. I bared it out. I got to the ribbon, and I needed some long pieces to make this ribbon go around this thing, long bow and... It kind of stuck together. It was stretchy like mesh. And so I pulled off these pieces. I don't know, they're probably 10, 11 foot long. But in order to kind of keep them straight, I had them wrapped around my shoulder and I stood by the towels and laid one end up on the towels. I'm just thinking, people are watching me thinking this guy is a looney tune, right? I'm seriously, this went through my mind. Somewhere they've got this on video. And I can just see the Best Buy work break room. Hey, put that video into that guy that wrapped that package last week, right? So finally, I get this thing done. I go over to put everything back on the wrapping area. 
And under this big do-it-yourself sign, there's these little letters that said, and if you need assistance, ask for an associate. Are you kidding me? So I bring this box back to the church. And I walk in the office. And Candace takes one look at the box. She shakes her head and says, something has got to be done about that bow. And in about a minute, about a minute, she took what was a disaster and made it beautiful. Now, I know that wrapping presents isn't a spiritual gift, but the principle applies. We are to use our gifts according to the measure of faith that we have. You see, what that means is that your spiritual gifting has a corresponding faith that fits it in measure, that is like it, that corresponds to it. So the gifting that you need to use are the giftings that God gave you. Not that he gave somebody else. It won't be your measure of faith. And faith is what becomes the channel to unlock that grace of God to get from God to the person you cannot operate in your giftings because you want the gifting that you didn't get. You have to operate in the giftings that God gave you. Then it becomes spiritual. Then it becomes eternal. Then it actually gets the grace of God to where it needs to go to help. Now here's the spiritual, here's the serious analogy or illustration just what I'm doing right now. The measure of faith that God has given to me. Now, I want to be clear here. I absolutely, with every fiber of my being, believe that Brad Suter is the most unlikely guy on the planet to be doing what I'm doing right now. I'm, I am not being facetious. I mean that with everything that is in me. When I was young, I was the most hyper-introvert probably that you could meet. I'd talk to almost no one. I'm talking about schoolmates that I saw every day. I'd cross the street if I'm going down the street so I didn't have to say a word to them. I would rather stand in front of a firing squad than three people to speak. When I had public communication classes in college, I just took the F. I refused to get up in front of anyone to speak. But here's what has happened. It doesn't always happen this way. Sometimes God does that. He comes to the most unlikely, Scripture talks about that, comes to the most unlikely and uses them for, in a miraculous way, He miraculously gifts them and changes them to the work, so they can do the work to which he has called them. Other times, people have incredible natural abilities and giftings and talents, like Candace and her creative flair. But what can happen with a natural gifting and ability and talent, or natural ability and talent, God can redeem that and turn it into a spiritual gifting to use for the building up of the church. So both of those can happen. 
It can either be one that is right in line with who you are in personality, or it can be something, if God sovereignly chooses, that's radically different than who you are. But the point is, it's not you. It's a spiritual gift. It is something that happens in a spiritual transaction. That's why you have to use it according to the measure of faith, meaning you can't trust in yourself. I don't care how talented of a speaker or a teacher that you are. Naturally in your abilities, if you rely on yourself, it's not going to accomplish anything of eternal value. People might say, oh wow, that was awesome. But as far as building the kingdom, that has to be a spiritual transaction. And so what we do is we use our gifts in proportion to the measure of faith that God has given to us. So here's the way that works for me. Even though I'm the most unlikely guy, I know what God said to me. And here's what I know. When I get up to preach, though I am the most unlikely, I know without a shadow of a doubt that God is going to show up and talk to people and do eternal things in their life. Not me, but I know God is going to do that. I have the measure of faith that corresponds with the gift of preaching and teaching that I have no doubt whatsoever, but only the full confidence that when I speak, God's going to do it. God's going to do it. And he gets the glory that way because I know I can't do any of it. Here's the point of application. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 11, I want to read that verse one more time. We looked at 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. I want to zero in as we close with an application on verse 11. Verse 11 reads, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that. In order that. In everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Folks, here is what is at stake. The glory of God. Don't miss it. Don't downplay it. God is glorified when we use our giftings according to the measure of the faith that God has given us and the specific giftings that He's given us, we look away from ourselves. We trust only on the person of God to do it, but we believe that He'll do it. And what happens is that takes the grace of God, runs it through the gift, takes it to the point of need so that God does what only God can do in the lives of those individuals. And what happens is they grow in their understanding understanding and in their love of God and God is glorified. Let me give you the negative side of that. You don't do it. God is not glorified and people are not grown. 
Spiritual gifts bring glory to God and grace to his people. You don't use the giftings that God has given you. You don't spend the time to discover them and to use them in faith according to the measure and proportion of your faith. God is not glorified and the church is not grown. So I'm asking you, is it okay? Is it okay that 20% of the people or 30% of the people in the church, believers in the church, use their gift? Is that okay? It's not okay. It is not okay. It's not a suggestion. It is the clear and plain teaching of the Word of God that He's done everything for you in the person of His Son. Therefore, base your life upon His mercies and live in worship to Him being transformed by His truth, renewing your mind, transforming your life, understanding what His will is, thinking about yourself according to the measure of faith God has given you, using your gifts in accordance with the proportion of faith. And what happens is the grace of God that is multifaceted and varied comes from God. It runs through the channel of your gifting as you use it in faith, trusting Him. And it goes right to the needs of people in multifaceted, varied troubles and trials. And it does for them what only God can do for them. And God is glorified and they're grown and the kingdom goes forth. That's the plan. That's the plan. And everybody said, Amen. Would you please stand? God, Lord, I am not wanting in any way for this to be condemning or accusatory. I'm just passionate about your truth because of the passion of the Spirit for your truth. But but I am asking you that you'd awaken, that you'd call up, that you would reveal, that you would give the vision and the understanding and the conviction necessary that we as a church body would own this truth and say it's not okay it's not okay that I just come and hear and leave and live and then come back and hear and leave and live that's not okay Because what is at stake is the glory of God and the growth of your people. So, Holy Spirit, take this truth and use it to renew our minds, to transform our lives so that we line up to this truth individually, each one of us. And we live a life of worship 
for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.